Today we celebrate the first Sunday of Lent, and Lent is always a time for us to go back to the basics, and the church helps us to do that this Sunday by bringing us back to the beginning, to the beginning of the first book of the Bible where we hear the story of creation and the fall. We might be pretty familiar with this story. God creates a beautiful garden, and then he forms the man out of the dust of the earth, And then from the man's rib, he forms the woman. He gives them all of the trees in the garden to eat, except for one of the tree. Now, it's important for us to see the symbolism here uh, that helps us to get to, to the understanding of what the story means and how it relates to me and to you. So God creates this garden paradise and all the many trees from which the man and the woman can eat. Only one tree from which they cannot eat. So the fathers of the church saw in the many trees, all of, all of the, the trees from which the man and woman could freely eat, all of the things that he's given specifically to humanity, all of the good things that only humans enjoy, and not just food, things like art, music, science, the trades, sport, literature, politics, philosophy, marriage, sexual love within marriage, all of the trees represent the many, many good things that God has given us. And he doesn't give these things to any, anyone else, not to the angels, not to the animals, but only to the man and woman and to humanity. Feast on these things, God says to the man and the woman. And there was only one tree amongst the very many trees from which the man and the woman could not eat. So here's something that that is so interesting about this. As the story progresses, the serpent comes, and the serpent is a symbol too. It's a symbol of the enemy of our human nature, or the devil, or Satan, the one who hates us. So he whispers in the ears of the woman, but we, we, could, we could say he whispers in the ears of the man, of the woman and the man, because we find out that the man is right next to the woman the whole time. So the devil whispers in the ears of the man and the woman and gets them to forget about the many trees that God's given them to enjoy because he wants them to fixate on the one tree that they can't enjoy. He wants them to forget about the many things they can do and to think about the one thing that they can't do. And don't we fall into that temptation all the time? It's, it's the first thing that the enemy, it's the first way he works. How many people think our faith is all about the rules and it's all strictness and it's all about what we can't do when really there are only a 
a few things, a relatively few things that we can't do, and how many things that we can do, how many good things that God has created uh, that we get to enjoy and enjoy freely. So this is, this is a sign of the enemy. Whenever, whenever we become fixated on the can't do uh, and forget about all of, all of the wonderful can-dos that the Lord has given us. Now, what was this one thing that the man and the woman couldn't do? It was to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is another symbol. So if all of the other trees were reserved especially for humankind, for them to enjoy, this one tree from, the, from which the man and woman could not eat, we could say, is the one tree reserved for God. What do we mean by this? Well, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And how do we arrive at the knowledge of good and evil? What determines what's good and evil, what's right and wrong? Well, we have to say that God is the one who determines what's good and evil, what's right and wrong. Not, not so much in an arbitrary way, like God points to this and says he's good for no good reason, and he points to this and he says it's evil for no good reason. That's not how God determines what's right and wrong, but we would say because God is sheer goodness himself, everything that shares in God's goodness is good, and everything that's deprived of God's goodness is evil. So God himself is the standard of good and evil, of right and wrong, of truth and falsity. So that helps us to understand what's happening when the man and the woman eat of the fruit of that tree. And it helps us to understand what's actually the original sin. The original sin is not eating an apple from the wrong tree. If that were the, the original sin, then God would be pretty petty if that's all that it was. And a lot of people think that because we don't know how to read the Bible. But, but what the story is actually telling us is that when the man and the woman are eat, eating of the fruit of the tree that's reserved for God, they're trying to take upon themselves what only belongs to God. And we could say that they're trying to be, become the arbiter of good and evil themselves. They want to determine, to be the, to der the determination of good and evil. They want to determine what's right and wrong. They want to determine what's true and false. And that's the original sin. It's when the man and the woman, the creature, decide that they get to determine what's good and evil and not the creator of all things, who is goodness himself. And when we understand it this way, then we begin to understand everything that's wrong in our world and everything that's wrong in my heart and in your heart too. Because we all do this. 
I mean, this is, we could point out some obvious examples from our culture. For instance, just, I mean, there are a ton of examples on both sides of the political aisle, but one example is simply the way we talk about abortion. My body, my choice. Well, I mean, that's, that's claiming for myself the, uh, the authority to determine what's good and what's wrong. What's, what's right and wrong, good and evil, true and false. It's saying that I have the authority to do that. That's the original sin. It's what Adam and Eve did. It's what you and I do all the time. Whenever we ourselves think this way, I know that the scriptures say this, but I say this. Or I know that the church teaches this, but this is what I believe. It's the same thing. That is becoming ourselves the determination of what's good, what's right and wrong, good and evil. That's the original sin. And so we ourselves fall prey to the very thing that the serpent whispered into the, the ears of the first man and woman. And there's a reason that we call him the father of lies, because he, he, he's a lie teller. He doesn't tell the truth. So what does he get the man and the woman to think? That, that God actually set up these rules to keep them from something that was going to make them happy. And if they would just listen to themselves rather than to God, then they're going to achieve the happiness that God is depriving them of. And that's, whenever we sin, that's what we think too. That, that actually by, by doing this, which I know is contrary to, to God's law, or the law of the church, by doing this, I'm going to achieve a good in my life somehow. We don't, we don't choose to sin because we're bad, or we want to do something bad, but because we've been misled into thinking that what I want, can, that what, what I want, which God says is bad for me, is, is actually good for me. Simply the original sin being replayed now in, in my own life. There was a, there's a, a story that Bishop, I've heard Bishop Zelinsky tell. Uh, he talks about a priest friend of his who, who visited uh, this place that's called the Madonna House in, in, um, in Canada. The Madonna House was set up to kind of be a house of hospitality for people who were experiencing trouble in their life. They could stay there or have a meal there or just find fellowship there. And because of its nature, it would attract a lot of people who had been involved in a lot of different things. And so while, while this priest friend of the bishops was visiting there, there happened to be some, some people there who were involved in the occult. And a woman there in particular who had been involved in satanic worship. And out of, out of curiosity, the priest asked her, when the devil talks to you, what does he say? And immediately the woman responded, he says, do whatever you want. 
It's, it's the same thing that it was whispered into the ears of the man and the woman. It's the same thing that the enemy is constantly whispering into our ears. Do whatever you want. You know best. So what does God want for us? Well, we see what happens when the, when, when the man and the woman begin to believe the enemy instead of God. What do they start to believe? That God's holding something back from them. And, and, and they lose trust in, in God and in his goodness. So it makes me think so much of, of you who are parents and who, you who have small children or who had small children at some time. Because in your house, you set up rules. Why do you set up rules? Well, because you want your kids to be miserable. That's the right answer, right? No, of course not. And it's not because you, are, you like to make arbitrary rules or capricious rules just to, just to mess with them or to limit their freedom so they aren't as happy as they could be. No, of course not. As parents, you want your kids to thrive and to be happy. And you, because you've, you've lived, know, actually know what's going to lead to your kids' happiness, and you know what's going to hurt them. And so you set up rules in your household. And you, and you want your kids to know that they can trust you, and that if they follow the rules that you've set up, they're going to be happier, and, and life is going to have less conflicts. And what happens when, when our kids disobey the rules? Well, conflict enters into our relationships. And our kids end, end up hurting themselves and others when they don't follow those ground rules that you've set up. So this is true for you who are parents, imperfect as we all are. How much more so is this perfectly true for our Heavenly Father, who's a perfect father for us, who gives us rules to follow? And says to his children, if you do this and avoid these things, this is how you're going to thrive and be happy. And if you don't do the things that are good and do the things that I've said are bad, that's when hurt and misery is going to end, is going to wind itself into your life. This is where your relationships are going to get really hard and it's going to hurt our relationship too. God wants the man and the woman in the garden to trust him and to know that the rules he's given them will lead to their happiness. And this is what he wants us to know too. That the rules that he's given us through the scriptures and through the laws of the church are given to us to make us happy. To lead to our freedom. So, brothers and sisters, there's, there's really good news here in our readings because, because we don't just stop with our first reading, which could be pretty depressing, ending with, original, ending with original sin, because then we fast forward to the gospel where Jesus himself has that same enemy of our human nature whispering into his ears, the father of lies. He's lying to Jesus. 
He's tempting Jesus, and Jesus is victorious over the temptation. So this is why St. Paul calls Jesus the new Adam, who undoes the disobedience of the first Adam through his obedience. This Lent, let's, let's try as, as, as much as we ever have before to cling to Christ. Because as Christ was tempted in every way that we were, so he wants to be victorious in us. We can't do it without him. We can't do it ourselves. We need him. There's a reason we call him our Savior. So let's let him be our Savior this Lent. Let's go to him with confidence with all of our sins, all of the ways that we've fallen prey to the lies of the enemy. Let's ask him for the grace that we need to reform our lives. Let's repent. If we did that, it would be the best Lent ever.